0: How many have had a trying week this week? A trying week? You've had a trying week? Um, How many of you actually have uh, cried this week? Did you cry? How many of you guys laughed over the trial that you were having? So this is going to pass. How many of you guys complained about the trial that you had this week? (laughs) One thing that I know is that trials will let us know what's on the inside of you. Today I'm going to be doing more teaching. And because of the, the topic, I'm going to try to treat this as carefully as I can, but I need to address this. And so what I'm contemplating and thinking about is I probably will have... I know there's not Children's Church. I said on the second Sunday I wanted um, everyone to be here. But I'm thinking I might have the children go over to, the younger ones to go over to the modular. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we honor honor you today. And we thank you for the grace and the privilege of your love and mercy. We thank you for allowing us to be here. We pray today that you will help us to Understand and to know that every single topic that you covered in the Word of God is there for a purpose and a reason. And so we pray that you will help us today as we hear and learn and uh, partake of the Word. Thank you for the worship service thus far. We thank you that we can worship the true and the living God. We don't serve a God that we've had to make ourselves, pick up and put on a stand, take down, dust off and polish, but we serve a God who keeps us. We honor your name today. May we recognize that we serve an awesome and wonderful king. Giving him all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone asked the children if they would go to the, uh, the modular the children's church. That would be most wonderful. They're going to set up and... Uh, so i am changing today just because of the topic. turning your Bibles to the book of matthew chapter five matthew chapter five chapter five verses twenty seven through thirty seven i 'll begin as you know we've been in our study of Jesus on the mount jesus 's sermon on the mount. And the first part of those verses deal with the Beatitudes that we have gone through and we are working our our way through these passages and and as we go through and have been looking at these passages, this is according to the only sermon, the longest sermon that Christ gave, the most detailed and In all of Christ's teaching, Jesus' teaching, he amazed the crowds that he was not just like the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27, 27 through 37. I'll be reading from the NIV. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything else, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. As we continue the Sermon on the Mount, I've entitled this, Lust, Divorce, and Vows. I think one of the things in regards to the sound. I need to get a screen that I'll find for this here that may help with the, the popping. Point number one that we're going to address. I'm calling necessary steps to living in control. Necessary steps to living in control. In 527, Matthew 527, as Jesus begins saying... As he did in 5:21, you have heard that it has been said. In verse 21 begins this discourse where Jesus takes many of the old, or the Old Testament commandments, the Ten Commandments, and he begins to expound deeper on them and the meaning of them. And as he starts and says, you have heard that it has been said, that started in verse 21. Now as we come to again, verse number 27, he says, you have heard that it has been said. But then he says, but this is what I say. And the person who was able to say, this is what I say, is a person who says, I have the authority to be able to not only expound, but to be able to bring the full meaning to what I'm saying to bear. Jesus is about elevating his listeners' understanding. Jesus does not want his listeners to be people that just remain on the ground surface. There's always a a, a lifting up that Christ wants his people to attain. If you've been a Christian 20 years and you still are standing on first base, something is wrong. In fact, if you are running to first base and you still have not touched the bag, something is wrong. Now, Matt was a good pitcher. He was left-handed. In fact, he played for the Seals, if I'm correct, right? Played for Connie's a year or two before me or older than me. Good pitcher. He knew that when he threw the ball, his ideal was to really strike the person out. But if the person hit the ball,
1: their job in
0: trying to get the first base, Matt's job, if it was hit to him, was try, his job was to try to get that ball to the bag before that person got there. If the ball reached the bag before they did, that person is out. The problem with many people in the church is that they're not even running to the bases. They're not running to first. And those that have got to first have just stopped and said, there's no point in going further. I've got saved. I don't need to learn anything. I'm fine right where I am. Who needs to learn? Who needs to teach? I don't need that. I'm a Christian. All I need to do is be saved, and that's it. Well, if you don't go any further, if you don't learn, if you don't develop what God has placed in you, not only are you going to be left in the dust, you're going to find yourself wondering, how in the world did I get here? I have no idea where I am, because you failed to keep up. There are 66 books in this Word of God, And I am still learning things every day. And so for people to say, ah, I'm just saved, that's all that matters, something is wrong. So how are you growing spiritually? Jesus was about teaching his people up on this mountain, the the disciples and the crowds. he He wanted to elevate their living because they had been called to mediocrity. Mediocrity by the religious leaders. Jesus says, "You've heard in the past about this, but this is what I say." So, in verse number twenty-seven, do not commit adultery. Would you put up on the board, Anisha, Exodus chapter twenty, verse fourteen? Exodus chapter 20, what does verse 14 say? If someone has it, just read it, please. Thou shalt not commit adultery. When Jesus says, but I tell you, as I said, brings in a difference than what the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes were the teachers of the land, and they were teaching and saying that the act of adultery, sex outside of marriage, or sex when a person is married, we're going to go deep deeper into this and, and laying out some differences, he said that they're saying that the actual act is sin, according to the Old Testament. That is correct. But the problem was that they said everything else goes, anything in between. There has to be a way to clean up our act when there's been problems and difficulties. Jesus is teaching this crowd upon this mountain something that would be novel novel to their ears. They hadn't heard it before. The problem with adultery, Jesus says, is that one needs to guard the heart. You see, the teachers of the land, they were uh, they were for all types of indiscretion and since they said the act of adultery is sin it doesn't make a matter, it doesn't make a difference what you think. In fact they weren't even going there. You can do anything right up to that point and it's okay. Now it is one thing to look at a woman and say, Man, she looks nice. God you did a good job. There's no wrong with that. But it was the lustfulness of the heart. It was the fact that the the people wasn't guarding their heart to say is my thinking in line with the word of god that didn't even come up and so the religious leaders are saying the act itself but jesus says that if one looks at a woman lustfully he has already sinned in his heart This was a radical departure from what they had been hearing. They hadn't heard this before. Adultery in the heart. And, and, and then Jesus, as he, after he identifies this problem, he, he takes these passages between, between Matthew five twenty one through, I believe, verse 48, and he expounds on these six or so principles and he elevates them to a new level and gives them a meaning that they've never had before and he doesn't shy away from the topics. If a person looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then the Bible says here, if your right eye <laughs> causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now today, today, We need to understand that lust has been a problem from the very beginning. Lust is not something new. Lust is not something that's, that just started in our time. If the Lord mentioned the problem back in the Old Testament in, Acts, in Exodus chapter 20 and gave it as part of the Ten Commandments, We've got to recognize that there was a problem even back there. Even Abraham had a problem. David had a problem. David not only committed adultery, he killed the woman's husband by sending him to the front line of battle. So the problem of adultery and lust has always been an issue. You have to imagine that Jesus... And beginning to address this, that there would be a squirming in the crowd with the people. I can imagine that some of them began to get a little uncomfortable and wouldn't look at Jesus and began to look down and look to the mountains where they were and began to look at the rocks. You know, when something makes you uncomfortable, you kind of <laughs> look all around, you, you look down because you're feeling embarrassed. But I can imagine as Jesus is bringing this topic up and is talking about it, that he is looking and teaching them and and, and, and there is this, this desire that Christ has in his heart to bring to the forefront the problem that was not being addressed. And so the religious leaders pushed all these big things up front but allow the things that led up to it to stay in the background while it would fest, it would fester there. And Christ brings it right to the front and says, the problem is not when the act of adultery is committed, it's the process that leads up to it. And then he says, so if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for a person to... Go into heaven without their right arm or mane than to be tossed into hell with the right eye and are completely whole. The Bible says, Jesus says it would be better to be maimed. What is Christ saying? Is Christ talking about start cutting our body limbs? For some of you, maybe. No, it's not what he's talking about. But, But let's take this a little bit further. When a person has cancer or a person has um, diabetes and their leg is not getting the proper blood flow or, or a joint, the, the doctors will say, well, gangrene, you know, if it, if it comes in, we've got to address it. And what they might do, they may have to cut some appendages or an arm or leg or finger. They may have to begin to cut those areas so that the other parts of the body don't get infected. And so the idea of having to do surgery is for the purpose so that the entire body is not damaged, is not infected because of one of the parts being infected, your arm, your leg, whatever part, because it will eventually take over your whole body if it's not addressed. So why would Jesus say, if you're right, eye You see, it's not so that you can say, well, if I ain't got my right, I can still see up my left. <laughs> because I would still be there. So what is he really saying? That one has to take what we would say are radical steps. Radical steps. In order to change a problem that you're having. If you are having a problem in an area, you've got to take some radical steps. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't maybe look at that if it's causing this. Where is that, where is that process leading? You've got to cut it off. There's some people you've got to cut off. There's places that you go you may have to cut off. You've got friends that won't lead you in the right direction, you may have to cut off. There you might be trying to say, I I can make it. Here I am being tempted, Lord. You know my heart, and there you are in the place where the temptation is occurring, and you help me, Lord, give me the strength to not fall. Have mercy, Lord. oh God, have mercy. Well, that might not be the place for you to be. Cut it off. Because the Bible says the issue is that sin will lead to God's judgment. You see, it, 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 the process that the people were being told is that, oh, the only problem that you've got to worry about is that if you commit the act, then you could go to hell. Jesus says that if the thought is in your heart and you lustfully do this, the Bible says you are already at risk of being cast into hell. Why? Because it starts right here in the heart with the eyes, the hand. It starts there. And it's not that a person can't clean things up, but what is a person doing? Christ addressed this problem head on because it was plaguing the church plaguing the society. It was against what the religious leaders were teaching because they themselves were people that were saying one thing and doing something completely different. They were out trying to, to say, oh, you can do this. I can do this. I can. Let me tell you this. There's a story in the book of John. In fact, let me take you there right now. This is not something. This is you, I'm going to just give this to you. It wasn't part of the message, but I'm gonna, I want you to turn to the book of John, chapter, chapter 8, I believe it is. Yes, turn to John chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 1. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. I'm just going to read for a little bit. Don't know where I'll stop. But but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Excuse me. Yeah, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple court where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Mm. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the, very, in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they who has has no one condemned you? Uh, No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. When Jesus gave this story, there was a man involved. Where was the man? I'm going to use my sanctified imagination. Sanctified imagination. I'm going to assume that these religious leaders set this whole situation up as they wanted to test Jesus and and they told the men, now listen we're going to go get this lady and we want you to go in so we can get Jesus and we want you to have relations with her and and, and we're going to come in right in the midst we're going to get her bring her to Jesus but we're going to let you slip out the back door out the window we won't bring you in God, brother said, I, I can do that. Raise his hand. I'm a volunteer is what he said. Look at it. <laughs> and so as this act commences, they come in. And here they are looking through the window. What they doing looking through the window? Nosy? No. Um, they set this situation up. And they come in. And they grabbed the woman. And the Bible doesn't say whether they clothed her or not. Gee, g- come here. And dragged her out in public. Where Jesus was. Jesus? We just caught this woman in the very act. Now the Bible says that she's to be stoned. And they think they got him. So what do you say? And as Jesus so masterfully does, he ignores their question initially by not giving a direct response. Y- you see, when Jesus is going to make a point, he sets, he sets the scene. He, he sets the, the stage of the situation. And the problem that that we, when we look at this is that this is not wasted time. This time is being well used by Jesus by not saying anything and on the ground while they're standing around as this drama builds. And so as Jesus is there and they keep asking, so are you going to answer us? What's the problem? What are you going to do, Jesus. Then Jesus stands up. Let the person that's without sin throw the first stone. Now, I got to imagine since the oldest left first that they probably thought, now, hmm, I remember what I did just last week. The next person, hmm, I remember this woman too. Mm, I remember what And the Bible says that they began to go away one at a time until there was there were no more accusers left. And and so there's Jesus standing with this woman. And I can imagine that she's head down beginning to raise and she's probably feeling now pretty good. Jesus, where are your accusers? And I can imagine as she still probably is embarrassed, but now has her head lifting up. Nobody. Jesus says, "I don't condemn you, but stop sinning. Stop your life of sin." Jesus de- deals. He he de- deals with sin in a compassionate way, and when there are people that are out to get him, he'll expose them. And what's the issue? You see, when the Bible talks about adultery, you see the problem is that adultery required in the Old Testament that both people be stoned. Get this now. When the Bible talks about adultery, oftentimes it involves fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. And these men that had brought this woman, many of them may have even been involved in a, in a, in a relationship that involved uh, fornication or adultery. And I can imagine that as some of them were leaving, their, going through their minds was this issue. And the problem for many of them is that they had not even left their life of sin. They let this man go, but he was an example of even them that brought Jesus, brought these men that brought this lady to Jesus. He went along with the situation, but he was part of the problem as well. And so Jesus says that even in the heart, if it begins, there's going to be a problem. You see, the right eye and the right hand were the dominant parts of the body. It was something it was what people used. They could identify that problem. If your right arm or your right eye is cut off, you would be most handicapped in the sense where they recognize. There's not a whole lot I can do that is vital to my life. But Jesus says the eye can be the gateway, is the gateway to evil. And one can even use their hands. And so the Lord says, you've got to take drastic measures to do that which doesn't cause you to sin. And so in the church, the problem still persists persists in the 21st century because God has made us sexual beings yet he's called for us called for us to do to have this desire but in the right context If you go back to the book of Matthew it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress Anyone who marries the divorced woman becomes commits adultery. Deuteronomy chapter twenty four. I'm going to read a few verses here. I want you to follow along, and I'm going to expound on this passage. Chapter twenty four of Deuteronomy, beginning at verse beginning at verse one, it says, "If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him," Because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And if if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her away from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land of the Lord your God is given you as an inheritance. That was the Old Testament that God gave them. But get this. The Bible also says that God hates divorce turning your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 19 beginning at verse number 7 Matthew chapter 19 beginning at verse 7 let me go back actually I'm going to begin in verse 1 Matthew nineteen one. when Jesus had finished saying these things he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him and to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any kind and every, for for, <coughs> excuse me, for any and every reason? <laughs> Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, The creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together let man not separate or put asunder in the King James. Verse 7. Why then they asked did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away Jesus replied Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because your hearts were hard but it was not this way from the beginning I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery chapter 5 The people in this day, as I told you, couldn't read. They were dependent upon the leaders to tell them the word. And then to give them the interpretation of the word. If a person dies, it releases that person in regards to their marriage vows. But let me share something with you that you may... That, that was one of the... As part of the, the commentators have discussions about and disagree. on. As you know that Jesus says from the very beginning... Divorce was not part of God's plan. So what is the meaning of this? Well, remember, this is the Jewish audience. Gentiles may be there. But this is the Jewish audience that the Lord is speaking to. Now let's break this down and look at this. When the Lord brought two people together in the Jewish community, there was what was called the betrothal in the Old Testament. And the espousal or is to be espoused to a person in the New Testament. In other words, there was what we call dating according. Betrothal in the old, it was called, espousal in the new. And during this time, the woman oftentimes didn't have a whole lot to say. And why is the Bible says the woman? Because the women at that time, based on the culture, they didn't have many rights. And so when Jesus even gives this command, it's actually. To protect women. Because when they were divorced, they oftentimes were left out. They were willing to divorce women for anything. I'm tired of her. I see another, there's a pretty woman walking down the street. Bye. I'm going her. That's what they were doing. I'm tired of her. Um, I don't like how you walk no more. Bye. You, 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 you. The water boiled over in the pot. I'm divorcing you. Bye. Jesus says that Moses permitted because it was such a problem. But God, Jesus says, from the beginning though it wasn't so. Moses permitted it. If Jesus was there from the beginning. He was the one that gave the command. But from the beginning it wasn't so. In the Jewish culture, When a man was going to marry a woman, this period called the engagement lasted for a year. During that year, there was no relationship because the woman was still living at her father's house. After the year was over, there was a big celebration as the groom went to the father's house to get his bride. There was endowment given to the father because not only is the father losing his daughter, he's going to lose her service as a daughter in regards to the support she gave around the house. So often there was an endowment that was given. Now understand this. going Before I make this point, I want you to go back and look again at chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 31, 32, 33. 31, 32 rather. It, it has been said... Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But listen, but I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman... You see, when the woman was away from the husband, even that was called, considered to be a marriage. In other words, it had, the only way to be separated was that there had to be a divorce. A certificate of divorce had to be given even in the betrothal period. Even though they had never come together as a couple yet. They they had not consummated the marriage. If by chance the woman even the man, if they had a relationship during that year, it was called fornication. The husband could then divorce his wife by still giving a certificate of divorce because she broke the vow during the betrothal or the espousal period. You see, committing adultery meant death. Fornication, in this particular sense, would require the husband to divorce. It could mean death, but get this. Remember when Jesus was born? What Joseph was planning to do? He heard that Mary was pregnant, and the Bible says he had in mind to try to divorce her privately. Because during that betrothal period, he said Mary had been having a relationship with somebody else, and I know it ain't mine. But the angel came to him and says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been done is of the Holy Spirit. It was that year period while they were waiting to be married that Joseph said, how can I do this to own, to also honor and keep Mary to to help her, and not to bring disgrace. Now, keep that point in mind. I'm not going to even be able to get to my next point today. Now go back to the book of John. I want to point something out. wasn't even planning to go back here, but this is... Go back to John chapter 8. I want to show something to you, if I can find it quickly. Okay. I want you to look at chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading at verse 31 and then bring this portion to a conclusion. I'm not going to get to the vow today. Acts, uh, John, excuse me, chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. (laughs) Yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence. And you do what you have heard from your father. Now pay attention to this. Abraham is our father, They answered. Jesus says to them, now if you are Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. We are not illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. We are not illegitimate children. You see, this is a slap in Jesus' face. Why? They said, yeah, we know what happened when, when Mary was espoused to be married to Joseph. We know a Roman soldier hit up Mary and here you are. We know you're not Joseph's son. You are illegitimate. They're saying that in that betrothal year, Mary had relations and everybody knows Jesus you're illegitimate. And so, this is a slap in Jesus' face as they're trying to say that he is not legitimate and we are Abraham's seed. He's our father. Your father's from one of those soldiers, Mary, without messing around. So, when Jesus speaks of divorce, keeping in mind that it was during this betrothal period of a year that it would be considered fornication. After the couple would have come together and had relations, it would then be called adultery after they had consummated the marriage. When Jesus says in this passage, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife, back to Matthew, must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, that's what you've heard, he said. Now, this is what you've heard. And hear Jesus. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, what is Jesus saying? He has said it was during that period of that year engagement causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So after that time period of the year and they come together, Anyone after they become married and a couple consummates and anything else that leads to divorce, besides that, Jesus says, was sin. But ultimately, actually, the Lord never approved of divorce. You see, even sexual relations outside of marriage, that does not mean that divorce was to happen because it was never in God's plan. God says he hates divorce. And yet, we know that it happens at times, but it's because the enemy is behind tearing down what God hates. As we bring this to a conclusion, God's word is not sugarcoated. Yeah, we clean things up, we do it right, because why? We want to make sure that we are in right standing with the Almighty and the religious leaders were the very ones who were leading the people astray. And Jesus said, you've been hearing that has been said in the Old Testament, and this is what they're saying, but this is what I say. Here's the full picture of this passage. And what Jesus does, he brings an enlightenment upon this group that once they began walking down that mountain, you've got to see, they probably walked down scratching their head, oh my goodness, all the stuff that he said, woo, whoo, that's a lot. Even some of Jesus' own disciples, when he told them certain words, said, that's too much. And they left him. Then he turned to the twelve later. Y'all want to leave too? Y'all, 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 y'all want to go? Where are we going, Lord? You see, the world can't accept God's word because it challenges, right? it challenges them and it calls them right where they live. And so oftentimes when they look at the word of God, they get upset because... It's a challenge to their lifestyle. So what if the church is doing the same thing? It then brings condemnation and the church then sits under judgment because the church says, you know what, I can't keep doing that. Got to make that right. And so we have to recognize and realize there are some things that just need to be cut off. The Bible says, what causes sin? Cut it off. So, if you find yourself in the situations where you always are praying, whatever, whatever it may be, but right here, speaking about adultery, in the heart, guard your heart. Because why the Bible says the enemy, these things from the enemy, he wants to destroy what God has given and what God's word says. I couldn't even get to my third point dealing with the vile. We'll pick up in a couple of weeks there. Michelle will be preaching next week as we're here. Bow your heads, please. The word of God, Lord, is to challenge us. It says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is to cause us to evaluate and say, God, have mercy upon me. I give my life to you. The areas where I've been keeping covered and allowing that just to remain May I turn over, turn it over to you. Areas in my life where there's been struggle, Lord, may we say I turn it over to you. When the word of God comes and says that this is what you have heard, but this is what I say. May we look at the broader application of the scripture and however it cuts lord may we learn to apply the salve that's needed to our eyes and to our lives we pray today that where is this compromise excuses and trying to take the words of the Pharisees and extend it into our lives no but may we but may we say what Jesus says, Lord, this is what he says, I'm going to do it. May we follow, rather, what Christ says. May we not be in the business of, a make, of making excuse. But may we take the word as is. And measure up. May we remember the word does not lower the standards for us. But we must rise to the standards that the Word of God lays before us. And so today we pray where there's indiscretion, where there's sexual sin, where there's adultery, where there's fornication, may the areas, Lord, be cleaned immediately. Where people, Lord, are pacifying sins trying to keep them tucked away, may we confess them to God. Lord, you will forgive sins that are confessed. For you are just and faithful to forgive all of our sins. We thank you right now that the blood of Christ covers a multitude of sins. So we pray today that they will be confessed, forsaken that God we will allow you to have that void filled with the word of God we pray that we don't allow the enemy any footholds in our lives because we know that he's out to destroy yes Lord we know the enemy's out to destroy so we pray today that we will not give in but that we will surrender to the Lord so that whatever measures need to be taken, we will be able to be with you throughout eternity. We give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.